NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Talk To Me here at NotFest.com. As always, I'm Joshua Toomey, joined by the one, the only, Chris Aiken. Chris, how we doing? I am sad, man. Sad day today, huh? It is a sad day, man. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into it before we get into who we're talking to today. But uh, as we start recording, man, the news started hitting the uh, the, the blabbermouths and the uh, metal sludges and all of the, the things in the world. But that uh, that, that Trevor Sternad of uh, the Black Dolly murder has... Uh, Looks like he committed suicide, man. Took his own life at 41 years old, man. Tragic. Yeah, really, really a bummer. I, I don't know if you ever met him. I, I interviewed him a couple times. I saw him a couple times. Um, really nice guy. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, you can't really judge what what happened today or yesterday by you know how your interactions with them. But the the few times that I met him and interviewed with him and whatnot, he seemed like a really nice guy. Funny told a lot of jokes was kind of you know jovial guy so and i love the band so you know that you know me i love it the heavier the better so so i was a big fan of um, black dahlia and you know kind of sucks i mean i guess not kind of it sucks that (laughs) another another guy taken out by whatever by covid or depression or whatever the fuck it was but man wasn't ready for that news today that's for sure yeah, and it's one of those, I mean, I've never interviewed him. I've listened to many interview with him, and he, from you know all accounts that I knew, was kind of life of the party and yeah. joking and having a good time. And, you know, you get super death metal guy that, that uh, behind the scenes is super nice and sweet and funny. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of the, um, you know, the tributes start pouring in. Uh, you know, Josta says, uh, you know, you'll be missed dearly. My deepest consol- condolences friends family fans thanks for all the laughs the stories and more just like as you go through all these man it's just like so many people talking about how he was the life of the party and just just happy to you know be around him and yeah you know it's just so so crazy that uh 41 man that's a tough age to go you know i'm yeah i'm I'm 42 i'll be 43 soon and you know some some days you feel like you know life is just starting and some days you feel like life is you know yeah, it's starting it's to wind coming. down exactly i mean that dude that's why you live every day for the minute cuz you do not know what tomorrow's going to bring and i'm sure if you would have asked this guy even i don't know 2 months ago he probably would have said oh i'm going to live to be 80 yeah. so you know i mean it, it's a bummer man it's it's just a i don't know how many death metal bands you've interviewed probably not a ton i'm assuming but most of the death metal guys, when you meet, when you actually meet them, are yeah. pretty funny. Oh, they're yeah. all, they're they're usually all loose. They all take their own music kind of as like, it's almost like it's an inside joke for them a lot of the time, and and most of them are pretty pretty loose and low key. And you know, I'll be honest, every time I interview any death metal band, usually for the first time, I'm usually like, oh, I really expected this guy to be a heinous asshole and yeah. they're always pretty cool they're always like hey what's up man thanks for the coverage you know it's like, <laughs> right it's like dude i'm expecting you to say say something nice or i'll kill your family you know <laughs> right <laughs> you know that's kind of what you expect but yeah just uh as far as trevor goes man just just a bummer man i 
like I said, I wasn't ready for this news at all. I was like, Ugh, come on. There's, there's other artists that could be killing themselves above Trevor from Black Dahlia, that's for sure. So to go off what you kind of just said, uh, I guess it says uh, Trevor went on to say on his 40th birthday was a turning point for him. He explained that I want my 40s to be awesome. I want to look presentable. I want to be a better front man. I want to be more physically fit. I want to go into my 40s screaming. I don't want anyone snickering at me. I don't want to be in Wasp. I want this wow. band to keep going at this tremendous speed. And I want to segue into being an older metalhead gracefully. Mm. So that that quotes out there. Wow, that didn't happen. <laughs> no it did Jesus, not no oh. yeah well rest in peace my friend i i hope you got everything out of the 41 years you did keep yeah man i mean never dove really too much into the black dolly and murder catalog but they've been one of those bands that you know they they started 20 years ago in the early yeah. 2000s when like death metal wasn't the 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 end uh -huh. thing man and, and he built such a great career for himself yeah. Well, dude, if you think about that time, there was, you know, you had all of the, all of the, I'll say eighties and nineties death metal bands, the big, you know, yeah. the big initial rush was kind of ending right then. And you didn't have another wave that came out. So you had really, you had black Dahlia and you had, I don't know, um, what white chapel, maybe. Whitechapel, maybe do you consider Crisian in that role? You know, maybe Crisian or Cataclysm. And that's about it that came out all at, at that time. And certainly that's about it that that survived from that time. Cause most of the other bands that I'm not even remembering right now, that's why I don't remember them, because they were here and gone in like three seconds. Death Metal went underground in a bit, and and I think part of it was that the the mainstream itself got heavier. You know, I mean, if you listen to like, I know you're a big Killswitch fan, you know, a lot oh, of yeah. the Killswitch music speed it up just a little tiny bit and, and growl a little more and it's death metal. Oh, yeah. You know, I, mean, I mean, it's close. And yeah. you look back to like Carcass Heartwork and things like sure. that. Yeah, it's it's definitely a blueprint for all that. Yeah. And and I mean, just that that style became more mainstream. And then the the really, really invested death metal guys didn't have a place to play anymore because it wasn't as it wasn't as underground as, as it had once been to where, yeah. to where it had that following. So, you know, bands like black Dahlia murder or white chapel, you know, they, they really cut their own niche where there wasn't anything to, to establish. So to me, it's a big loss to me, oh, yeah. uh, you know, as a Definitely. death metal head, it's a, it's a big, big loss. And, um, you know, just, a I don't know. Suicide is always just such a bummer. It's always like, in your head, you just sit there and you think, well, where was his friends to tell him, hey, bro, we, we got you or we, we got your back. And, you, you know, and I know as well as you do, you can't really think that you can't, yeah. you know, if somebody wants to take themselves out, they're going to do it. But, you know, at the same time, us who doesn't know the guy at all, really, we look at it from the outside. We're like, dude, what are you doing? You had everything going for you. Right. And you're in a yeah. huge band. Yeah. You're yeah. successful. Yeah. You played um, all this best. You did all these things. What are you doing? You know, it's. Oh, uh, yeah. Just a bummer. Yeah. So, so here from uh, here at the Talk to Me podcast and not fast. I know that they've they've already sent out their condolences too. Trevor took play, took part in that. Uh, he was in that death metal roundtable that uh, you know Chris Barnes gave a whole bunch of shit about. But yeah, uh, he was on that. And I know. I think him and Stay Puffed have some so, somewhat of a relationship. So um, you know, hopefully Stay Puffed's doing okay and yeah. all that good stuff, man. But um, let's dive on into the show. Uh, Wade McNeil of Alexis on Fire today. Um, a band that, um, you know, kind of, kind of 
was always in my periphery and mm-hmm. and then like I, I finally sat down to listen to them a i was like oh yeah that's them kind of because i heard a few songs i was like oh i've heard this many a time before and then the uh the new album otherness will be out june 24th once again my birthday this two two weeks in a row the artists are putting out uh birthday records for me and only me that's um, why you're covering them <laughs> i see how this works but man, what a great dude! What a great band! And uh, what a great interview! This was a lot of fun. We actually talk about uh, the the Jay uh, Baruchel, the actor, uh, directed their latest video, and uh, Wade has done some music for Jay's movies. So that's in there. We talk a little bit about them playing in the Olympics a few years ago. For uh, nice. I guess they 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 did a, a show at the Olympics. They they weren't actually competing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, another thing, uh, death and everything around us, man. They were on the. Um, they they were on these those uh, those uh so what was a Columbia show where where the Foo Fighters uh, were were oh um, wow supposed to play yeah the Foo Fighters were supposed to play because of Taylor Hawkins right. and uh, so they he kind of told me how he heard of the news um, which was kind of crazy that he didn't hear it from on site he actually heard it from back home oh, and wow. then they were they were uh, texting in saying like what had happened and stuff so uh, you know just kind of went in a little bit about that you know talk about some misfits and all that good stuff too man so great great chat with wade i was really excited to have this one done cool cool man i can't wait to hear this one as soon yeah. as we get done yammering ourselves right <laughs> <laughs> once we talk a little bit we do have some stuff to talk about this week man i i got out to a show i'm like you what? man going out to shows <laughs> Look at us finally. <laughs> you know, we're we do a music show, yet neither of us has been to a show in what years. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while for me. You know, aside from from uh you know Soulfly and then when we went to Knotfest or whatnot, but the uh the Deftones, Deftones played in Indianapolis, which is about two hours away from my house. And um we actually bought tickets and just kind of like you know, we'll figure it out when we get there, kind of thing, or the day of, because you know, technically this would be a work night. Two hour, two hour drive on a work night for, for a concert. So I, the responsible adult that I am took today off. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was like, man, I could do it, but I didn't want to do it. So, uh, but, um, you know, so I was like, so I took today off, but you know, that's beside the point. Um, man, what a cool venue. I believe it's called like the TCU amphitheater. It's, it's a new amphitheater, um, probably a few years old, downtown indianapolis uh right there next to like the science center and the zoo and stuff like that but it's it's it holds about six thousand people and but it's so it's like it's like the big amphitheaters from like the 90s that i remember that held you know twenty thousand and pantera would play but it just shrunk down you know okay you know small seating section a pit up front some lawn seats just nice compact and uh, i looked it up yeah i mean it, it held six thousand. i think it sold out the the opening man vows they were they're like a two-piece kind of industrial kind of uh kind of gothy you know doomy band or whatever you know am i were, the only am i i'm gonna stop you right there just for a second yeah am i the only one that hates these two bit these two-piece bands <laughs> i can't I, uh, I i i this sounds terrible even yeah. though you haven't even explained it it just two-piece automatically makes me think terrible author and punisher that band that anselmo was pushing for a while yeah. they were garbage every time i see one of these two two it's like Flesh out your sound. Get another. Get a bass player, because that's what they always leave out is the bass player. Well, they, this one didn't have a drummer. It was a guitar player, oh, keyboard player. Um, that that's acoustic it, rock. It was. Um, I was listening to it. I didn't hate it. It was definitely not the right venue for them. You know, outdoor amphitheater in summer. It was like yeah. this needed to be in a 
a 200 Starbucks, <laughs> a 200 cap room. Uh, looks like Gary Newman did some stuff with them and Chino did some stuff with them. I, I was like, I was sitting there. I was like, this has to be a Chino backed band. Sure. And, and I Googled them and like the very first thing, revolver magazine, Deftones backs vows, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it was funny the way it was even worded. Vows a good, I, you know, I definitely want to check them out in the, in the car kind of give them a, a headphone listen or a car All listen right. and kind of sound to see where they're at. But they weren't terrible. Gojira okay. comes out and fucking slays the day. They're so good. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I saw them uh, not fest Iowa. I've seen them a few times in the past. I think I saw them even back in the day, like early, like one of their first ever American tours. But um, Gojira came out and just fucking killed it. Like there's, there's just no getting around how great that band is. Dude. Why do you think they're not really big right now? That's the that's the one band that I I think should be like elevating like crazy fast. Yeah. And they've they've gotten to like that trivium level. Yeah. And stopped. And yeah. I I don't get it because they're the only thing I think of is because they're from France and they're kind of outsiders, you know, maybe. Right. But other they're so good. Every record they put out, I've seen them I think four or five times now. They're yeah. always they always murder. Yeah. I, it's I, I do not get why they're not huge. Yeah, it's I, I I wish I could tell you. I mean, even even as much as I love them, mm-hmm. like I don't know how much I would go out of my way. There, there maybe this is maybe it's just missing something. But the yeah. fact that they were there, I was like, oh, I can't wait for them to play Stranded. I can't wait for you know play this that sure. and the other song. So it's like, and even a friend of mine that went to see Deftones a few days ago, um, I was texting during the show, and he was like, Yeah, we missed to go Jira, and I'm like. And he's like one of the dudes I was like, you seem like a type of person that would love Gojira. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I saw, so maybe, I don't know, trying to figure out the, uh, their, their appeal or their lack of appeal or whatever. But I mean, yeah, they, they should be definitely, you know, I, I could see them headlining a show like this. You know, sure. They should, they should be doing some stuff like that or, you know, headlining the bigger venues. So we'll see what happens with them, man. Yeah. I love yeah, them. The, the, I'm with yeah, you. I love them. Great fucking band. Yep. Uh, so, you know, listeners of the show know my love of Deftones. <laughs> this is where I would have left the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I was thinking about you during the show and not in a sexual <laughs> way because, you know, the Deftones are very, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of horny 40 year olds there. Last right. <laughs> There's that they, they just have like, I mean, I, they, they have something about them that just, like everyone though, that what what made the venue so cool? Six thousand people outside, sold out. Right. Everyone in there on the same page, right? And so, like when when Deftones come out, you could just feel like an energy in the place. That sure, you know, you I, I go to a lot of shows and you get there and you're like, you know, little pockets of energy or something like that. But there was mm-hmm. like even even Chino at one point I stopped and he was like. He's like, this is a fucking Tuesday, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he was like, this is a, you know, this is fun and and. uh they, they they just you know come out great light show great visuals band sounded great you know i mean they're not putting on like you know they're not some crazy animated on stage band there's not a whole lot sure. of going on but there's just something about it man that just that just takes you takes over the takes over your body or something well you know what it is with them dude and 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 honestly i i think i can speak on this and be right even though i'm not a fan if you're a fan you're all in Right. If you're not a fan, you're all out. There's yeah. no, there's nobody that casually likes the Deftones. <laughs> right. Nobody. 
you either are like you that will, you know, if they put out, if they put out one song for 30 bucks, you'll go buy it right. just because it's the Deftones. And then there's guys like me that if they put out 400 songs for a dollar, I wouldn't <laughs> buy it. Right. You know, I, I mean, there's, that's the dichotomy of that band. So I think when people go to their shows, you know, they're already sold. They're yeah. already, they're, the only thing that could make the show bad for guys like you is if Chino came out and just fell off the stage. Right. You know, I mean, if, if they just play and they play soundly, then you're going to love it. And the fact that they don't just play soundly that, you know, instrumentally and musically, they are talented. Yeah. Like even I'll say that I know they're talented, even though I don't dig them, you know, <laughs> but, but that's, that's kind of what, the, what it is with them. They are kind of, I think you said it earlier. They're, they're, they're kind of like the uh, new metal grateful dead in a way, you know, as far as the way that they've mm -hmm. reached their people. Yeah. You know, maybe not musically, obviously, but yeah, you know, the way they've reached the audience. Well, the thing with them, if you, if you go to the show, you're obviously already, you're already in, but yeah. they're one of those bands too, that, that I was, when I was talking with Jonah last week from, from one line drawing and far, who was kind of, you know, grew up in that camp, you know, mm -hmm. playing shows with them and stuff there, they, they're so widely liked, you know, because you could sure. be in an emo band. I love Deftones. I love, mm -hmm. you know, you can be into Limp Biscuit and love Deftones. Like you, you know, they've got a pretty broad net that they cast. And, but if you look at their actual, like, you know, uh, record sales and things like that, record sales wise, they're not that big, but they're like right. one of the more influential bands out there that people care about. But I don't, I honestly don't even know. White Pony probably went platinum, but other than that, I don't think that they've really had the huge numbers yeah. when it comes to sales. Did around the fur? Around the fur must have. Well, I, I uh, no, I don't, I don't think. Like in the states, I'm not saying worldwide. Yeah, I think the last time I really looked, I don't think that they've really hit like many plateaus of sales. Okay, which is crazy. Now, are you a fan of of like Chino's other stuff, like crosses and stuff like that? I've never really dove into them. I mean, I know that they're there, but I, I, Oh, that it, surprises me that you haven't dove into that just to, just because you're such a fan. Right. I will say since the Sergio episode made such a stink uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago, not really missed on stage. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, like homeboy. That's uh, like, I, I watched a few videos from like the first couple dates. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know about this bass player, but, uh, Last night of the show, he killed it, man. Killed it. And then they've got this they've got a second guitar player that comes out, but he's only does about half the half the songs. Like the older, more heavy rocking songs, like he's not oh. out there, but like on the songs, the newer songs that are more they got the more spacey and the you sure. know, guitar stuff going on, he comes out. But I was like, why don't you just have him out there for all the songs? <laughs> like it, it, it's a very weird thing because sometimes they're well, sometimes they're five piece, sometimes they're six piece which is hmm. weird with, with Frank being up there playing, you know, playing DJ and all that, but nice. But so Chino, man, Chino is still Mr. St uh, you know, Chino is still Mr. Steal your chick, man. He is just <laughs> up there dancing and girls are just screaming. And like, I got, po like I was, I, I posted, you know, we're going to see Deftones and like every girl in my friends list hearted it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, and they, I, I saw all that and they were all like, I'm my favorite band of all time. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Hey man, so, they they so are. So how long they did are, they play? Uh, I I I think it was like an hour and a half. All right, because because Go, Gojira played for a, a you know pretty big chunk too. So all right, but yeah, about an hour and a half. I think they played something off every album. I'm not a hundred percent sure they played something off of Gore, but I think they played at least one song off of every other album. 
Um, and then they, you know, they, they close the show with, or they, they close the encore with, um, engine number nine, which I'm sure I'm like, Chris, Chris would be right here, right? I'd be right on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, I was trying to think if they were playing deep cuts because everything to me is like, there's not a deep cut to me. Yeah. You know, right. I'm like trying to figure out if it was like, are they playing deep cuts for the fans? Like, because they, they, they did play. I think they played pretty much every single off of every album. Okay. So I don't know how deep they got into the, no, they, they play like lotion and things like that. So some, right. some of the weirder songs, but man, just overall, the venue was great. Like if, if I get a chance to go back up there for, um, you know, any kind of show, I definitely go for it. You know, like I said, man, 6,000 people outdoor venue, nice. you know, in and out quick, you know, wasn't a, wasn't a big ordeal because I mean, you know, growing up going to see Pantera, Metallica, all yeah. that stuff, like 20,000 people at the amphitheater. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. fucking mess. This yeah. was just like, this was just, just enough people to make it a, a cool environment. And, uh, cool. Definitely, definitely. We'll, we'll go check it out. I believe there's a place here in Louisville that's supposed to be similar to that. So I know shows have been going there. Um, so I might have to go check that out sometime. The Iroquois yeah. theater. Right, well, now that the world's open again, you should start going to more. I'm going to all of them, but yeah, I mean, we had a great time, <laughs> great time, great show. And, uh, man, you know, nobody came up and recognized me, man. I was like, I was like, do you guys like podcasts? You like Sergio, you know, hello. <laughs> Maybe they'd have recognized if you're wearing your uh, stallions. Oh, never mind. Oh man. Or wow. Panthers or whatever, whatever your bad team is, <laughs> whatever your bad team is. <laughs> hey, I, I'm a Breakers fan. Um, the, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. If you listened last week on last week's show, Chris and I made a uh, USFL bet. My team lost in like the most ridiculous fashion possible. <laughs> like you can't be any closer for a field goal, and he misses. Oh wide left like what it's it? insanity a 20 21 yard field goal 21 yard field goal like that's a give me like if you're out golfing with your buddies and you you do give me putts like that's a give me putt like yeah that's... <laughs> well dude I, I, like i i told you i was watching the game live which it was on at a stupid time too oh, that yeah. was dumb too a, a 10 p.m on a friday night start time for a game <laughs> that was just dumb yeah but i stayed up watching it because i don't know i'm an idiot and literally, I was I was on my phone, fingering through, trying to figure out how much your hat was going to cost, <laughs> because I was going to order. I was like halfway to ordering the hat, because I knew that I was going to lose this bet. I mean, the your um the the Panthers were going right down the field. They were yeah, you know, like like we said, they're at the ten yard line or whatever. And I was like, this is over three they, three yard line. <laughs> it was it was horrendous. I I was just like, okay, this is done. And then he doinked that kick, and I'm telling you, if he'd have been 10 yards more back, he would have missed. He might have missed the end zone. <laughs> he might not have got the ball in the end zone. That's how badly he kicked it. Oh, it was embarrassing. Yeah, that is awful. That is awful. You mean wonderful. <laughs> well, I can tell you how much the hat is with uh, with shipping and everything if you really want me. I mean, if, if you're really that curious, I know exactly how much it is. Oh, I know how much it is, too. I was like, damn, these are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let's jump into my interview with uh, Wade McNeil of uh, Lexus on Fire. And then uh, Chris now will be back with some some suggestions and stuff. And, and I'm going to talk about the, the Life of Agony documentary. I finally watched that the other day, too. So that'll be in my recommendations. So stick around for that. And uh, yeah, so let's chat with uh, Wade McNeil. All right.
Alright guys, let's welcome uh, Wade McNeil of Alexis on Fire to the uh, Talk TV podcast here at NotFest.com. Wade, how are we today? I'm doing pretty good. It's actually my birthday. Oh, nice. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, you're putting out the new album on my birthday. So there we go. It's a birthday show. Nice, nice. <laughs> Synchronicity. There we go. Uh, let's speak a little bit on uh, otherness, man. Um, what took you so guys so long? You know, 13 years, what have you been up to? Well, we broke up. <laughs> I know. Um, it didn't take. I'm happy about that, you know. We tried to stop playing, and then uh, after a while, it just felt really weird. And so we kind of we made our way back to it. We all made a lot of other records, did a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I think that the record wouldn't be what it is without all that other stuff. We brought all of that like into the studio with us. And um, I think it's important. I think that time away, you know, allowed us to view the band a little bit differently. Our place in music, the type of music we, we've written, the type of music we want to write. And then just grow as players and as people. And that's all that's all in there. The one thing I liked kind of going down the rabbit hill of, of or the rabbit hole, sorry, of learning about you was Alexis on Fire sounds one way, but the things that you like to play kind of sound differently. So it's like the mashup of the two, you know, what everyone individually brings to the band it kind of creates the sound of, of the band. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much... Uh... You know, the, the band is what it is. It's, it is the five of us in a room together, it sounds like, Alexis. Um, but, you know, it's we have five different people with five very different ideas about music and uh, influences. And, and um, I don't know, a lot of the five of us don't even look like we should be in the same band together. <laughs> I can see a little on the stuff we're into. But, I mean, that's, I think that's what somehow works about it. You know, and uh, and it's uh, it's cool when it does line up. It's everyone, it's everyone just doing their thing, and it's it's very natural, and um, it's cool. It feels like home. So those late night gas station stops on tour, you know, when you guys all go in, do people actually ask if you're a band, or are you guys just like a a roving group of uh, friends together? <laughs> yeah, everyone always asks that, and I feel like over the years we've. Uh, developed a bunch of like short answers that are confusing to people and also uh also end the conversation right you know so um we would say if people asked us like what kind of band we were we'd say we we're a new wave band nice. and i think everyone would be like what the what are these guys talking about what and then we'd be gone and then uh and then also george has uh two uh, two things that he said to people a variety of times. People ask if we're a band, and George just laughs and says, "No, we're drug dealers." Um, <laughs> Not too and far. then uh, also he started doing this years ago. We played the Olympics, like we okay. played this Olympic show when the Olympics were in Vancouver, and um, we were uh, we were in an elevator at our hotel room with with. Uh, you know, I imagine a bunch of people that were there. The Olympics were in town, so right, right. whatever they were there to see. And and the woman in the elevator uh, asked us if we were a band, and George said, "No, we're professional athletes." <laughs> so just like any of those three at any given time, it ends the conversation, and we're out of there. How was playing the Olympics? It was pretty crazy. Um, it was a pretty huge disaster, actually. Like, okay. 
Um, it was uh, it was a day that Canada won in hockey in a day game. So everyone in the city of Vancouver had drank about a thousand beers each. Nice. And uh, and then made their way down to the the free show that we were doing, which was outdoors. Um, the people that put on the show had set up the barricade like on a bit of an incline and we started playing and within about 15 seconds of our first song, uh, there was a, the, the barricade had like folded in on each other in and on itself. And there was a huge pileup of people and we stopped playing. We told everyone to back up, like, you know, from what we could see yeah, yeah. right away, like it looked bad. Um, and I think I'm pretty, I, luckily I think we reacted pretty quickly. Um, uh, no one thankfully got too hurt. Um, and, uh, we definitely had to tell a crowd of 10,000 people that to go home, <laughs> uh, that we weren't playing. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then people started booing and then George started swearing at the audience. He's, he's, he's like, <laughs> they started booing. He's like, ah, shut the fuck up. Start acting like Canadians. <laughs> and, uh, everyone, uh, composed themselves, uh, and, uh, started singing the national anthem and filed out in a orderly fashion. That's Canada. So George just needed to get stern with them for a second. Uh, and say there will be no post-hardcore this evening. <laughs> Return to the bars. Nice. Played any uh, any uh, Grey Cups or any CFL games? <laughs> we have not played. <laughs> we have not played any CFL games, but uh, it'd be good to do one of those at some point. That'd be funny. Nice. Done like done like a coin toss. Yeah. A CFL game. You've uh, done that. Uh George did it. He's the biggest CFL fan, right. but I like was on the field with him. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it didn't get much more Canadian than that. I'd say the only thing more Canadian than that is we flew to Newfoundland and we, uh, first time we were over there, we played at a curling arena. Wow. Uh, uh, That's about an, it, you know? an arena built specifically for curling. Yeah. That's that's my man. That's that's getting deep. <laughs> Too fun, man. Too fun. Um, man, I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, <laughs> so well, speaking of hockey, we'll go there. Um, looks like Jay. How do you say his last name? Barishel. 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 He, he uh, you know, you it seems like you and him have have a you know made a friendship over the years over some hockey. You did the uh, score for his movie, and obviously he directed um, Sweet Dreams of Otherness, man. So, kind of talk about your friendship with Jay and uh, how that all started. Yeah, dude, I, uh, you know, as a fan of of Jay as an actor, he's in a lot of movies that I think are really great and incredible. Um, when I saw Goon that he wrote um, and acted in. Uh, uh, I watched it when I was on tour in Australia and I think I like, you know, like put something on the internet about it or something like that, about how it was making me feel really homesick. And, uh, and, uh, he reached out and said like, Hey man, like, thanks so much. I'm glad you liked my movie. And, uh, um, I'm a big fan of your band. I've seen you guys play a bunch of times in Montreal over the wow. years. And, uh, 
So if you're ever in Montreal, like, let me know. We'll go watch a Habs game. I was there a few weeks later, and uh, and we, like, uh, watched a Habs game. I assumed he meant, like, we'll go watch the game at the arena. Um, but uh, it makes so much more sense now that I know him. What ended up happening is we watched the game on TV at his house, ordered uh, pizza and uh, smoked joints, well, there you um, go. which is much more of a Jay situation. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, man, he's, he's like chill as hell. He's the best. He's like, he's, he's a really talented dude and it's a really nice dude. And so kind of, we, we became buds and I started working on music for a bunch of his films. I did the music for the second goon film. I did the music for uh, his last film, uh, Random Acts of Violence, a horror film that he worked on. And uh, so it was really cool when this record came out, you know, for me to be able to involve him in, in like a visual capacity. And, uh, and yeah, man, I love, I love that video he made for us. It's like, uh, it's like a My Bloody Valentine, an album cover, like come to life <laughs> right. or something like that. It's, it's sick. Yeah, I uh, I got pink eye a few months ago, and my bosses from NotFest sent me the pink eye scene from from I forget which movie it is, but the, with him in it, and they you know they all got pink eye from from, and they say you know farting on pillows or whatever. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that that was that was the clip everyone sent me when I said I couldn't do the uh, podcast that week because I had pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk talk about uh, you know composing music for a film. I mean, obviously, you know we've all written songs and we've all written punk songs, things like that, but. When it comes down to writing for for movies, man, how how does that work for you? You know, it's something I always uh, I'd always hoped I'd get the opportunity to do, and and Jay really opened that door for me. Um, and uh, it's cool. I, I really love it, and I mostly love it because it offers me an opportunity to make music that I would probably never make. Um, and with an actual purpose too, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like for his last film, uh, there's a sequence of, uh, um, the main character and his, his partner kind of like getting ready to go on this, this road trip. And, you know, we kind of talked about it, like, what would they be listening to? Um, and, uh, just like the apartment and the people. And we, we kind of ended up on some kind of like, early Smiths type vibe. And uh, so like, I got to, you know, like write like that song and Man. then, and then also, you know, like process it in the way that it sounds like it's like coming from, you know, the record player in the corner right, of the right. room, which is like, is another interesting thing. And, um, and so, you know, that's, that's music. I, I very much like love, like old kind of like early, like Britpop stuff. But am I going to set out to make a record like that? And, and even if I did, like, what, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to like put together like that band and go and tour and, and do interviews and talk about it and stuff. And, and, you know, I love music like that, but you know, that seems like something that's pretty kind of unattainable or unrealistic. So working on a film, it gives me an opportunity to, to make music like that music that I love and it have an actual purpose and a meaning. And so that's some of the coolest stuff about, you know, working on film projects. 
so when you go to write, he's he's kind of telling you the scene, like, hey, they're going to be on a road trip, or hey, they're doing this, or or are they sending you dailies or whatnot, where you're able to see the scene and kind of write to the scene? Yeah, I mean, it's you know the 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 further the process we get into it, um, you know, it starts with like the script and starts with us having a conversation about you know, emotionally and the characters and, and the themes for those characters. And it just grows from there until we are eventually like, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting picture. I'm getting picture with, you know, other music in it that they use to edit it together as a placeholder and to eventually the point where it's, you know, picture locked and we're really refining things to, you know, just making sure there's, yeah, everything's like smooth transitionally and it just kind of, it's, it's this long revisionary process uh, where, yeah, you just keep going over it again and again. And it, it makes, sometimes you start with something or you talk about something and it, it doesn't land there at all. Kind of going back to your, you know, talking about you liking things like the Smiths and things, obviously one thing that's kind of a, a constant in your background and whatnot is, is kind of your love of that horror punk and horror pop and, uh, you know, obviously Black Lungs has got a little bit of that in it, man. How, how much of that were you listening to growing up? Maybe like Misfits, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that has a tendency to to creep into everything that I've done. And I think that's because my, when I first like really, really got into music um, and started digging a little bit deeper, um, you know, I, I really got into like White Zombie. Oh, yeah. I got into like Nine Inch Nails. And Marilyn Manson. And then when I started digging a little bit deeper, I really got into the Misfits. And and they were, and probably still are, one of my favorite bands. Um, and yeah, you know, so like scary films and kind of, uh, you know, like darker kind of cultural stuff is always something I've always been into. And and uh, so when I, I came across those bands, it was uh, like visually and sonically, it's... It was the, the coolest mix of of everything. And then, you know, learning more about those bands, I just, I kept diving deeper and deeper, you know? Like, you know, from the Misfits, you, you know, you find Necros. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you find, you know, all this other stuff. You, I start watching those films that, that they're, that they're referencing in, in all the lyrics you know from from white zombie and i I found out about a ton of like uh you know similar like strange old horror and you know trying to find out where they all those samples are from that are on the that are on the records and seeing them live them playing like these weird set breaks where they're playing old kung fu films and and just you know kind of expanding my understanding of I don't know if the word is alternative, but just like um, more niche and like outsider art. And, uh, and so all of those bands um, were like a, a cool gateway into just like digging deeper into weird weirdness. I think you're a few, a few years younger than me. So I want to hear your take on the Michael Graves era of the misfits. Well, I saw them. I, I, I got to open for them. Did you? <laughs> yeah, back in 97, 90, yeah, 98, somewhere. There. Yeah, so the American Psycho Tour came through like our little town, St. Mm-hmm. Catharines, Ontario. Um, 
And that tour was like the first, that was like the first week of high school for me. The first weekend. Nice. Like Friday night, Misfits American Psycho Show. And uh, me and like uh, Steel that's in Alexis was there. George that's in Alexis was there. Um, Me and Steel went to that show together. We kind of knew each other from like skateboarding and, and like growing up in the same area and like we're on the same hockey team and stuff. We didn't talk that much. And we both went to that show and like at the show, having our minds blown by like, it's the first time I saw a larger punk show mm-hmm. of like more than, you know, 50 people. And it really blew my mind. And we definitely talked that night about starting our first band. And then we, when started a band that sounded like the Misfits. Would that have been Plan 9, I think? That would have been Plan 9. <laughs> yeah, I read that. I was like, oh, I, I, read that. I, was like I wonder what, uh, I wonder what they sounded like. name that yeah. sounded like the Misfits, did Misfits covers, and yeah. So it had a big, like, it had a big impact on, uh, yeah, me getting into music. And I think, like, uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. I mean, it certainly exposed me to, like the punk scene, like on a larger level. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, man, I'll, I'll listen to American psycho. Dude, American psycho is a banger of an album. Like it's yeah, really man. good. <laughs> and I mean, maybe it's a bit provocative, but I'd say there's some tunes on, uh, famous monsters too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously Michael's went kind of in a weird, in a weird direction since then, but yeah, that first cut, co- those first couple misfits reunion records were really, really good. Yeah, for sure. And then just like, it's like similar to what I said about, you know, about White Zombie or, or like, uh, those other bands is, is it's another thing that kind of like allowed me to dig a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and open my eyes to, yeah, like to those older Misfits records and then finding out about Sam Hain and, and all this stuff and just, uh, yeah, and keep, digging deeper and deeper and and uh it keeps getting more and more interesting there's a dude on tiktok that he's doing misfits mondays and he's and he has this great graph of like misfits in the middle and then every offshoot band ever that was a part of the misfits you know universe somehow and every monday he's been kind of zoning in on like one band or whatever it's been really it's really well done and very uh educational when it comes to that that's cool yeah, so and obviously being like a songwriter too, you have to look at those early Misfits records and just understand that like how good those songs are, even though the recordings may sound like crap, like the songs themselves are so good that it kind of shows that a song will will break through like any production value. Yeah, big time. It sounds uh I mean it sounds insane. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, the songs are incredible and like and I think spending so much time listening to that stuff, you know, is just like, it's in my songwriting, like the, like the, like melodic sensibilities, of that stuff. And, and even like, I don't know if people ever think about this, but like, you know, Alexis has a lot of woes. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of that stuff in, <laughs> in our music. And like, that's, that's them, man. You know, like that's the blueprint for that stuff kind of getting into Alexis a little bit more, you know, going through last couple of days, watching more YouTube videos, things like that. Like the comment sections on an Alexis song are so, 
so much fun because it's like I loved this song when I was in high school and I'm still listening to it 20 years later and and like there's so many like just positive people just talking back and forth in the uh, comment section, which, you know, a YouTube comment section can be a dumpster fire. And for the most part, you know, it seems like the fans of the band are, are very positive. Yeah, for sure, man. And I think it's a, you know, it's a crazy thing is for us to, to, when we came back and started playing shows to find that people were still there and people still really cared. And, and that, that music that, touch them at a certain point in their life, like still meant something to them. It's still, it still, you know, felt good. And, and so I don't know, even like playing those songs that we wrote 20 years ago at this point, which is a trip. It's a 20 year anniversary of our first record. Insane. Um, you know, even those are ideas from when I was in high school. Still, it still feels great playing those sh- songs because of the way people react to them at the shows. And, uh, and that's cool. That's really, that's really special. And, uh, so it's really nice to be able to like be putting out this record and just like, you know, taking another step forward for the band and, and, and continuing it because it really means so much to us that we have that support and we want to like, I don't know. I want people to know how much we appreciate it. And like, it's not like we care that much too. Oh yeah. And I hopefully, and I hope people can hear that in the new record. Yeah. And I, and I love the, the, the different voices that you guys have and, and each person brings to the band. Um, I, I mean, I guess the question that, you know, I ask pretty much any band that has multiple singers, how do you guys figure out which is going to do what part kind of thing? And, and, you know, do you like, oh man, I really wanted that chorus or you know, I really want the bridge or do you guys just know? I'm uh, my phone's about to die. So I'm relocating as I answer <laughs> this one. Right. But uh, yeah, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen yeah. with the vocals. And uh, you know, it was something we always tried to, to divide up in a way that um, like was unique. And uh you know, try and figure out ways to, to do it. And it's certainly difficult over the years to, to make it. Yeah. Feel good. And not seem so obvious because certainly the obvious thing is, you know, like so many bands that kind of came from our, like the music community that kind of sp- spread up around us, you know, they say like the clean vocals or the whatever, which I don't know, just sounds fucking stupid to me. Like, <laughs> Like, we're, you're singing. Like, what's your right. voice sound like when you sing? Like, Dallas has a very, pos- like, has a very melodic voice. Mm-hmm. You know, George does not. I'm somewhere in the middle. Right. But the idea of, like, this, like, clean and aggressive is just, like, I don't know, just fucking, just, just fucking sing it like you mean it. So, there has certainly been a balancing act of, like, what to do with our voices. But that being said, you know, we, we would try and shy away from kind of like obvious stuff, you know, where it's like, well, this would be the chorus. Like obviously it would logically be good for like Dal to jump on that or whatever, but, um, or that would be the obvious thing. So I think we always tried to, to push away from that. And I think that's, what's kind of made a lot of our older stuff, maybe not sound so like of that time. Like maybe it's helped at age, a little bit better because we tried to stay away from a lot of those cliches 
And, but what was cool this time around is, you know, uh, we found a way for all of us to sing together at the same time, all the time. So, um, if something's more like George focused, like Dallas and I are trying to back him up melodically in some capacity, um, like by singing, like trying to sing something, some harmony in it or something with more melody and vice versa. When there's more of a focal part, that's supposed to be more melodic and, and like subdued, you know, like George is singing like a low octave of it. And, and I'm like trying to do the harmony on it. And, and so I feel like we broke a lot of new ground vocally with, uh, with the new record. There's not just like, well, this is like the, this is the heavy part and this is the not heavy part. Like it's, it's all, all of us singing together all the time. And I think that definitely helped us kind of like shatter some walls in our songwriting of things we decided we couldn't do. And I also think going forward, writing more songs, I really feel like there's nothing we can't do now as the kind of way we approach the vocals on this. One question real quick before we, before we dive in deeper on the album. Um, what I was looking at when you first popped on the screen was uh, looks like you guys played Lollapalooza with Foo Fighters, but then were you guys on the next show too, that they had to cancel? Yeah, we were there when that happened. Okay. Um, what? Pretty heavy. Yeah. Uh, kind of talk about it from your uh, from your aspect. How, how did you hear of the news? You know, did, were you watching, uh, you know, Foo Fighters the night, night or two before or anything like that? No, I didn't see them. Uh, I didn't see them play at the show. Um, everything uh, uh, at those fests is like sometimes just like yeah. so drawn apart that it's crazy, right? So. I didn't have a chance to catch it. Um, and then um, one of my buddies in LA texted me actually oh, wow. and said like, what's going on there? Like, I just heard about this. Is everybody okay? Like, how are you feeling? And so, yeah, it was a very strange way to hear about it. And we woke up and, and you know, all these things started kind of going through my mind about, you know, whenever it's someone that you're not even like have any proximity to that's in a band and that happens, it feels so strange, you know, um, when you spend so much time listening to someone's music, you know, you feel like you have this relationship with them. Right. You feel like you know them. And I just, you know, thinking, I knowing other bands that, that have lost somebody like that and that I've been close to, or, you know, just, just, just made me think about my guys and like, you know, everything that we've been through and then how those guys must feel right now with everything that, they're going through dealing this, dealing with this, and and uh, and you know I wanted to try and like do something to to sh to show uh, you know uh, how we felt about the whole thing, and but I certainly didn't want to do something that felt like it was drawing attention to us, right? You know, like everyone obviously deals with it in their own way, but I just, I don't know, like the uh, seeing photos of bands with like pictures of them with him. It just, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to come across like insincere or, or, or certainly take the focus and put it on us in any capacity. Um, and so we talked about, 
you know, how can we put a, um, how could we like weave some Foo Fighters music like um, into uh, into the set? And we found a place in our last song um, to like put like a chunk um, like of a tune in there, and and figured like we won't like, we won't talk about this. Like we'll just you know do we'll it. just play the song, and and uh, it was like a really beautiful moment. And like, you know, the audience like sang the whole thing and we kind of dropped out for a minute and it was, it was heavy, but it was like, it was that beautiful thing about, um, as sad as it is, you know, that like that dude leaves behind this like huge body of work and, and people can like go back and listen to that. And, and there's so many records and so many shows that people can look at and like relive and kind of like keep his memory going. That's something pretty beautiful. Oh yeah. And he's Canadian adjacent being Atlantis's drummer at one point. So there you go. There's your... Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's wrap up on the record, man. Um, kind of getting, getting back together with the guys after so many years to write this, how long did it take you guys to write the album and just getting in a room together with those guys again? How did it feel? getting in a room together felt great because we were like pretty deep into covid and like no one was doing anything seeing anybody life was real shut down so you know i just kind of i said why don't we just get together and jam and not like let's write a new record or let's write some new tunes like let's just like get together and play some music wouldn't that be nice and we did we you know went through some old tunes it felt real nice and and then I'm not exactly sure how it started, you know, but very quickly from there, we started rehearsing like a couple times a week at least and, and just writing songs very quickly. Um, no one was at our record label. Like no one was at Dine Alone. Everyone was working from home. So mm-hmm. we had this big space so we could go and not see anybody and even be like kind of far away from each other and, and jam. And so it like, you, that lent itself to us being there a lot, working a lot and things came together pretty damn easy. And, you know, even from there, like there's a, there's a recording studio across the street. We just pushed the amps across the street, like about a month later, (laughs) made some demos. And when we were doing the demos, which we were just trying to, at that point, you know, make sure we had a good, like version of where we're at so far with like six tunes we're doing it. We stepped outside at the end of the day and Dallas said to me, he's like, I think we've, I think we may have started recording a new record. Like this might be the record. And, uh, you know, ultimately we, we kind of did that again, went into that space, recorded again. And and we're like, yeah, this is, this is it. And so we kind of like, went through the songs in a different way than we've ever done and kind of talked through everything, worked on the lyrics together, worked through all the vocals together, figured everything out as opposed to just being like, well, that's like the Wade spot. So like I'll sort that out and I'll come in the studio and do it. And it was like much more collaborative um, in a way that we've even done before. You know, it's, it's a very collaborative band, but we did this even on another level. And I think it, I think it helped us level it up. And so, I don't know, before going into that, I don't think I could have told you what new Alexis would have sounded like or if there was even the possibility for it. But, you know, it just happened so naturally. And 
And that's probably part of the reason why the songs sound the way they do, I think. And we tried to take that vibe in the studio with us and just like set up. We set up where we're all playing, you know, run them through live a few times. That's it. You know, like that, that's the one burn a bit of incense, you know? <laughs> right. And, uh, and so just like being not so dialed in or like hyper-focused, I think we all played better. You know, we're all relaxed and feel like we played above our ability and it's, uh, it's cool. Awesome, man. Well, I know the, the fans can't wait, obviously, you know, some of the most positive fans I've ever seen. So, um, real quickly, anything up with gallows and or black lungs? It's Alexis time right now, but, uh, you never know what the future holds. All right. And, uh, what's the, uh, what's the touring future? Anything going on? Anything on the books yet for, uh, for Alexis? Yeah, man, we uh, we head out to the States in a couple weeks. We're like starting the South in Nashville. Um, we're out in the States for a while doing a couple of festivals and stuff and some headline shows. And then, um, yeah, we're pretty much on tour till the end of the year. You know, head over to England for some festivals, do some fests in Canada and the States again, go up through the East Coast of the States. Um, yeah, all the shows are on sale. Please come see them. <laughs> You need to get you on that uh, Grey Cup halftime show, man. Yeah, man, that's next. <laughs> awesome, Wade. Well, thanks for taking some time with me here today. Uh, talk to me, uh, notfest.com. Awesome, thanks, dude. Huge thank you to Wade McNeil of uh, Alexis on Fire. Make sure to check out Otherness out June 24th. Man, what a cool interview. What a cool dude. And uh, that that's one of those things where the last couple of weeks of the show, and I know you get this way too, where you're like, you, you, you get offered a guest and you go into it and you don't know how it's going to go. Sure. And you're like, man, you're like, I just hope I get 20 minutes out of this. I hope, <laughs> I, I hope that, you know, this guy's okay. And, you know, by the end of it, man, even the, the post you know, post interview chatter we had, man, like we're like old friends already. It was crazy. Like him and, and even Jonah last week, last week, Jonah, the interview with him, I think I wanted, you know, I always hope to get 25, 30 minutes and then, you know, sure. you and I can blabber at the beginning and the end and, you know, put a show together. I talked to him for like an hour and talked to this way dude for, you know, 45 minutes or something like that. It's, it's just crazy how, how cool these dudes are. And, you know, kind of going back to earlier, what you were talking about Trevor from black Dahlia yeah. You know, all, you know, you, you, you think these dudes are just going to be like, 
why don't you know everything about every record I ever made? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually turn out to be like some of the coolest people you've ever talked to. Yeah, it's always funny when you do an interview too, and you're doing somebody that's sort sort of famous, and they'll be like, "Well, I we have an album called," and it's like a fa- like I had this not even that long ago with um Lejean from Seven Dust. And he goes, yeah, back in 19, whatever, we did an album called animosity. I'm like, yeah, no shit, dude. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know sometimes, but they, you know, they, they either go one way or the other. They either, you, Super, they either yeah. go to where they think you're going to know everything about them or they think you don't know anything about them. Right. And it's, it's always funny when you, when you get the, you know, they go to like their most famous record or whatever. Yeah. We did an album called seasons and it had a couple <laughs> of hits. Maybe you heard them. It's like, dude, stop. <laughs> yeah, like like if I was inter, inter, you know, back when I interviewed Jason Newstead, yeah, we we did the song called Inner Sandman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little album called The Black Album. <laughs> well, man, my well, we got a lot to talk about. I know we this will be our TV talk because uh, yeah. I know we we both finished up Ozark, and yeah. then I watched a couple documentaries I wanted to bring up. Um, yeah. we'll save the Ozark to the end just in case any spoilers. Okay. But um, I finally sat down and I watched the life of agony documentary have you watched it yet i have not what is that on the sound it's on amazon i think it's it's a rental it's like five bucks but oh uh yeah um there's a lot of i i liked it a lot i'm a huge life of agony fan huge fan love them um the the main issues i had with it were little little bit of revisionist history i think with when when keith Mina left the band the first time and when they brought in Whitfield Crane right like they were they were really hyping it as as like Life of Agony was about to take off right and, and like Life of Agony was starting to get played on the radio and Weeds was all over the place I'm like I don't I don't I was a huge Life of Agony fan at the time did not like Soul Searching Sun oh and, really yeah I was not a fan oh, and I'm a huge fan of that record love so, it so I mean, I, that, that could be, I could go back now and listen to it, make, might get into it. But I remember at the time, you know, River Runs Red was great. I loved Ugly. By the time Soul Searching Sun came out, I, I just do not remember them about to be the next big thing. Well, no, that's that's true. They weren't. And I, I'm, I'm curious, is the reason you didn't like it because Keith changed his vocal style? It did get kind of more alternative rock then yeah. because the first album is kind of that mixture of, of like hardcore and whatever yeah. they are, you know, and then even ugly kind of, kind of softens a little bit, but they were playing clips of, of the soul searching sun era of them, like on playing on some TV show or something. And it's just, it's very just alternative rock, man. I, I just did not get into that side of them. See, I love that album, but, but I, I'm, I loved it. But that was kind of the end of it for me. I didn't like the stuff they did after at all. The whatever the one was, Broken Valley, or yeah, you know, I was like, eh, not so much. But yeah, uh, songs like uh, Heroin Dreams and Tangerine and um, Weeds, I yeah. love that stuff. I'm surprised you don't like that, really. Like I said, if I if I listened to it now, I probably would care more about it. But at the time, I just wasn't. I wasn't in that headspace at the time. Yeah. Uh, one thing that that. You know, I'm going to throw this back in Mina's face again because she called me out. She actually called me out on an interview another time because, you know, my initial interview with her was I asked her if she was worried about her voice changing, taking the 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 estrogen pills or whatever, or taking right. the hor- the hormones or whatever. And they were like, you know, the, how can that be a thing? That's, you know, my, it's my voice, blah, blah, blah. But you you watch this 
documentary and it and it clips back to like the old you know through and through videos and things like that but then it sure. goes to them now playing through and through and you're like your voice changed mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I i i think the early voice was so cool i mean if you want to live your life you want to you know do 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 whatever you, you want to do be right. you but right. don't sit there and say i can't believe you'd ask me that question and then call me out in another interview like, oh, I get asked this, you know, if I'm worried that my voice is going to change because of the, est- you know, the estrogen or the hormones. And I'm like, yeah, well, it did. Um, yeah, it definitely did. And, and dude, that's what I was saying with Soul Search and Sun. I think it changed even before. Yeah. I think uh, Soul Search and Sun, he's like two octaves higher than the, you do what I do, I do it. You know, yeah. he's all low in, in those songs. And and then he, he changed. But yeah, no, you were right to ask that question. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you... If look, and, and you know my stance on this, and I won't get too deep into it because I don't want to get anybody in trouble here. But the <laughs> thing, the 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 simple deal is this: if you're going to make an issue about it as a um as an artist, then you're then everything's on the table to be asked about it. You shouldn't get butt hurt about it. If if you truly want to raise awareness, yeah, then raise awareness. Answer the question instead of getting all hurt about it, right? Yeah, and the other the other thing, I think you'll 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 appreciate this negativity that I have for it was no mention of Sal whatsoever. No Uh, video of him. No. I mean, if you look back, there's it's, it's like the three of them in every photo, Alan, Joey, Keith back in the day. And then at one point, Mina even says like, you know, we've been through like 12 drummers and then they, then they do a big feature on what is her name? Veronica, the new drummer. They do like a big piece on her. But even like in the old old footage they show of like live footage and stuff, I mean they they cut Sal out. Like there's uh, not even a I don't even think he's in the background of shots. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he was he was a he was the backbone of that band. I yeah. mean honestly, and and I mean if you look at the stuff that he's done since the um the what is that the death pale band? horse pale horse, pale horse named death. You know, I mean that sounds like life of agony. Yeah, because of Sal. Come yeah. on, just just acknowledge that the guy was there. What's the big deal? You're not paying him. Just right. acknowledge your history. Yeah, I'm with you. That sucks. But overall, great doc. I mean, it, it, it's it's the whole uh, you know your your co-host over there at the CMS. How do the how do they get all this footage? <laughs> because because <laughs> I mean they have they have all this footage of uh, of of Joey and and Keith growing up together and playing sure. as kids and then Alan coming over and you know all that stuff man it's 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 crazy watching all of the early you know them kind of getting together in the 80s late 80s to put the band together and early you know they even have like their first show uh you know video of their first show at Lamore and things like that so it's it's a pretty cool pretty cool document documentary cool i'm going to have to check that one out i have not seen that yet <laughs> and the actually i was i was in a documentary mood the other day man i watched the uh, the tony hawk documentary Okay, um, it's called "Until the Wheels Fall Off," which is kind of funny because as the trailer of the the doc was coming out, that's when he broke his leg <laughs> uh, skating, and and um, it's pretty crazy, you know. Because growing up, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I wasn't there for like the the first wave of of skateboarding. Sure, you know, early '80s, '81, '82. Mm-hmm. You know, I was three and four years old. <laughs> right, but. So I don't really know like how widespread it was, but I mean, Tony Hawk, a great skater, very determined, kind of seemed like a snotty kid. Um, he was like the youngest by like 
the, the, his parents jokingly called in the accident because he was <laughs> he was like tw- he's like 20 years younger than his oldest sibling and oh, like wow. you know and he he's got a huge wide gap there with his with his uh, age but he was just bound and determined to learn how to skate and and spend all his time at this you know skate park and but it's almost like he he's like it, it was like bound and determined plus lo- time and location okay yeah because he he was just right there in the backyard of like the bones brigade and you know all the 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 big skate park right there the delmar skate park that he skated at was his home one which was like right next to his house like it just it, it, like if he was born in you know connecticut would tony hawk mm-hmm. be anything you know because he was just like right place right time right mindset you know they 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 show all the older skaters that hated him because you know he was this little skinny little pipsqueak that you know couldn't even do sure. the tricks right in their mind and things like that but that was cool to watch and then you know it was it was, it was obviously I, you know growing up in the late 80s as a you know a, a you know teen you know early teen or whatever tony hawk was tony hawk even to me yeah, by yeah. then and mm-hmm. then but even at that time you know he was his popularity was failing and they were going broke and he, all this other stuff right before this was before the X games and right. then the video games came along. And he said his first royalty check from that Tony Hawk pro skater was $4.5 million. He, wow. and he didn't even know it was coming. He was just like, they, he said he went to lunch with the creator of the game. It's just like, this is the numbers. This is what it's doing. This is that, you know, he's like, what does this mean? And the guy goes, this is what it means. A handsome check for $4.5 million. <laughs> wow. And then, wow. yeah, so, so it was crazy to show all that. And it just showed the, you know, the, you know, the determination for the 900 and, and it, sh- it was funny. It had a big long sequence of all the other skaters before him trying the 900. Right. So it's like, like, it was like this, this, you know, uh, what is it? White whale of a trick to get to and things like that. Sure. Cool documentary. I think you would really enjoy it. I think you'd like it for the '80s California aspect of it too. You know, sure. there's just something cool about that—that that like '80s skate yeah. culture that was going on back then too. Well, believe it or not, dude, I, I'm actually a big fan of that stuff. I actually went to the X Games when it was here in Cleveland. I I spent a couple of days down there checking it out. And, yeah. And as a kid, you know, I had a skateboard. You know, in the '80s, I had a skateboard. <laughs> and we had one skate park, as far as I know, that was even close to me. And I just remember my my mom taking me down to this thing. I was like 13 years old or whatever. Yeah. I was skating around and I sucked. And the, but I tried to do like coming off of like a half pipe. Yeah. And I went down one time face first. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? Fuck that. I'm yeah. done. And I literally quit the one time. Guys like Tony Hawk. Yeah. You know, I don't get it because man, you got to take a lot of pain in order to get good at it. I mean, that's just the, the rules. The rules are you got to fall and be hurt bad mm-hmm. in order to be good in that or BMXing or, you know, even motocross, you know, you gotta, you gotta take some pain and man, for these guys, guys to do it like Tony Hawk and, you know, some of the crazy stuff like the 900 and stuff like that. Pfft, how many times do you think that guy went face first into like a a wooden floor or whatever? Oh, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, they were showing some of his like more gnarly just concussions and oh. you know just the the CTE that this guy has is crazy because oh, you know man. he would go he would go up the half pipe and then just fall like straight uh-huh. down and then just be knocked out you know bleeding from his ear and all this stuff. just all of it man. 
crazy to watch all that but uh i definitely uh i, I definitely recommend it it's on um uh hbo i think it is but yeah okay. it's, it's called until the wheels fall if he actually did a really good interview with uh mark Marin over there on the uh the wtf podcast i was like cool made me kind of want to check it out but yeah man it's, it's definitely a, a nice little time capsule of uh of the 80s and stuff too so cool, good times cool. very good man and listen to deftones <laughs> <laughs> and out <laughs> what do you got going on anything um, just two. Well, one one show. Um, new show that just launched on. I think it's FX, but I'm watching it on Hulu, called Under the Banner of Heaven. It's um, it's it's kind of a cop thing, but it's also kind of a like it. It kind of looks at the weird world of the Church of Latter Day Saints, you know, in the in the context of a murder. So okay. it's 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 a really intense. I mean, from minute one, it is super, super, super intense. So if you like intense cop dramas, I certainly would say that. And then if I don't know if I've said this on, on here or not, but uh new season of Mayans MC, the, the spinoff of um, yeah. Sons of Anarchy, it's the best of any of them. It's better than really? any season of Sons of Anarchy. It's better than any of the first three seasons of Mayans. It is awesome and really intense. My God, man. The only thing that sucks about that is if you watch it on FX, they they way overload you on the commercials. You gotta wait till the next day and watch it on Hulu. The <laughs> the well the dude, there's no lie. The episode last night, 86 minutes long on um on FX. This morning on Hulu, 61 minutes. Wow. I mean, it's a lot of commercials. Is this is is Tig is back, right? Is Tig on Mayans? He has not been on yet, but he's scheduled to be? to be in there. And um, yeah, this is this season is going to be the big season where the Mayans actually fight the Sons again. So the main guy, remember Alvarez from Sons of Anarchy, the head of the Mayans? Mm-hmm. He is kind of the star this this season of Mayans MC. So. So it, it has that familiar flavor of the the old school show plus the new the new show. So I love it. it it's a fucking great show. So check it out. All right, and this is where if you uh, haven't watched Ozark yet, turn it off. We'll see you next Thursday. <laughs> but uh, but spoilers are coming ahead. Um, I, you know, you and I talked a little bit about the the ending of Ozark and the, this yeah. little last little um, you know story arc that they did at towards mm-hmm. the end here. I think that they were. I feel like they they almost put too much into these last what is it six seven episodes just like right. cramming a full of like we gotta tie up every single loose end ever mm-hmm. and some stuff that I'm like I don't know man I, I don't know if Jason Bateman goes down to to Mexico and just all of a sudden takes over the drug cartel and everybody's like showing him their yeah. books and stuff like that like all that stuff I was like I don't know man it seems yeah, a little far fetched that, that was dumb that, just call it what it was that was dumb <laughs> he he went down there and he goes. He literally was asking, well, how do I handle it if they don't listen to me? And then he goes down there like he's Billy Badass. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, dude, you're not that guy. Yeah. And that was silly. That that whole arc was silly. The only Also, thing do you, you think, b- before we leave for that part, do you really think that the cartel has such meticulous books? Like, no, I, I just, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> That's what I was like. I was like, the cartel does not have books like this. Dude, if you've ever watched any any documentary on um Medellin cartel the biggest thing was that they they lost money because they buried it out in the woods and out in the out in the mountains and like animals ate the money 
Yeah, they you know they don't have any books. <laughs> they were they they would uh, they would uh, you know factor in mice eating the money yeah. and mold yeah. the money and shit like that. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Jason Bateman comes comes to, comes up and goes, you know what? I see some discrepancies in your number. Get out of here with you're, that. You're missing a decibel point here. You know, yeah, shit like that. Get out of here with that nonsense. Those guys would have shot him in the head and moved on. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was silly. What else with the what else with the show? Um, I I was really not enamored with um the ending. I hated. I, I'm not enamored is way too light. I hated when the Sopranos did this. We don't know what happened ending. Yeah, I hated even more because the people at Ozark weren't as good at it as yeah. the Sopranos were. The ending, you got to admit, the the ending blew. It just sucked. Yeah, I think that I, I read one of the showrunners said that it wasn't supposed to be this like who did he shoot, you know, shoot kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be pretty well implied that he shoots Mel. They just didn't want to show it or something. Yeah, like so, so why they, they just show him on the ground, <laughs> do something. But yeah, they they said it. It didn't. It wasn't supposed to be this big Sopranos type ending where you didn't know exactly what happened and you know did Jonah shoot his dad or did Jonah shoot you know shoot Wendy or whatnot. Yeah, and he should have shot Wendy just because she was as hateable as any mother <laughs> in in history of television. And the, yeah, and then the Wendy stuff with her like you know putting herself into the mental institutions. Yeah, and, like what was and that? that was going to be the reason that got her kids back. And I'm just like, come on. And, and I know this is really nitpicking, but that's what we're doing here. Why did we have the slow motion bullet hitting Ruth? Hmm. Yeah. What was I that? I mean, the whole show, we watched the whole show and people are getting gunned down for four years or whatever. But all of a sudden when Ruth gets gunned down, it's like, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell is that? Just well, shoot her. The, the, the bad part of me with Ruth was I had seen a spoiler online. Okay. So I knew she was getting killed. Right. And I, which kind of sucked because I think I probably would have, bit a little bit more like what the fuck when i saw it but i knew she was it was like i knew she was going i didn't know how she was going right and i think that you know for the show the way she went out you know fucking flipping her off and right. calling her you know basically saying that she was happy that she killed her son and all that stuff like like if ruth is going out that's how ruth needs to go out yeah no i agree so, I, I definitely agree with that i mean she went out the right way it was just just the cinematography and it was the only time in the entire show that <laughs> right. they did that. You know, all the deaths that that they had, that's the only time that they went with the um, you know, WWE photography <laughs> thing. It's like right. what the hell. <laughs> but you and I talked a little bit about this was was I think ending a show is impossible. And I think ending a show well is damn near impossible. Yeah. Because because Game of Thrones got it wrong, Sons of Anarchy sucked. Sopranos I didn't care for. Yeah. Uh, there, there's been a, a, a myriad of shows that just that that the ending is just like you why don't you know why didn't at the end of Game of Thrones just put Jon Snow on the stupid throne and move right. on with life? You know, like why do you have to burn it down with a dragon and all this other crap? You know, just right. like just just do the fan service ending, like you know, yeah. and, and I think that of of endings, I didn't hate this one. You know, I knew you hated the way it faded out or whatever, yeah. but I I was like, you know, cool. They they shoot the cop. 
And then they're you know going to continue on just being shit bags. Yeah. Except they're already now talking spinoff. Well, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. I don't know who am I kidding? I'll be right there watching <laughs> it. But, but it was like it was just annoying. Just show that they shot the cop and moved on, or or whatever happened happened. Because now we're gonna wait two years and they're gonna open with the close of Ozark, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, ah, just move on from that. You know, dude. The only show that ever ended right, as far as I'm concerned, was The Shield. They did that ending correct. You know, you wanted to see Shane die. He died. Sorry if that's a spoiler, but the show's been <laughs> off for 12 years. But, you know, they you knew Shane eventually was going to die. You didn't expect him to kill himself and his family. And then seeing Vic Mackey reduced to just a piece of shit that, you know, has to play by the rules finally. That was like the perfect ending that you didn't really see coming. Yeah, you, I I don't know. If, did you watch the Shield or no? Well, I said I'm trying to think. I was like, I know, I I know, I wa- I watched all of it. I yeah. great one of my that was probably one of my first favorite series yeah. ever. And but I'm like, I don't remember the ending. <laughs> the ending was he was in the office. Like th- they signed the deal with him, and then um he was they took his pistol off him and put him in a suit, and he had to do reports. Oh, nice. Because they were mad that he had, uh, you know, that he admitted that he had killed all these cops and everything. So, so they, um, but they, what they did was without trying, they reduced him to exactly what he didn't want to be. So he was kind of, the ending was, it was cinematic, but it was that he's locked in his own little prison, even though he's not in prison. That was kind of the the mode they went for. And I, I loved it. I was yeah. like, now that's the way you end a show. Not jacks on the bike with his arms out and his <laughs> eyes closed. That was Getting ran over by Mackey. <laughs> yeah. And then got ran over by Vic Mackey. Exactly. I did. I did appreciate that they held because if, if everybody watched the shield and sons of anarchy, eventually everybody that was on the shield was on mm-hmm. sons of anarchy, except for Mackey. It took him, took him till the very yeah. last episode for him to pop up. No, that's so, not true. That's where not was he true. At? He was the truck driver that in the last season was, um, ran into Gemma when Gemma was, um, she was tr- talking to that one lady and, and she didn't have anywhere to sleep, but she was sleeping in the okay. diner. And then the truck driver came up and, and he, he said to her, she said to him, some about getting a ride and and he said uh sorry but i'm not looking for a road hummer or something like that <laughs> nice that was that was Mackie. okay all right well i mean so he, he waited the they waited till the Close end of the, the season end, yeah. for it. No, there we go but yeah it was, that was kind of cool like even seeing him at the end i'm like oh there he is there he is <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so this is a very podcasty thing to say well you know go to the comment section and tell yeah. us what shows you liked the way they ended. <laughs> yeah. And leave a review while you're there. And a rating and review. And yeah. make sure to hit that bell. Yeah, hit that notification <laughs> bell so that we know that you see every episode. Oh, ugh. No, I'm, I, I've started saying that stuff and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you always say, do that podcasty stuff. Yeah. Speaking of spot podcasty stuff, I will throw this. Jason Blushki, if you're listening this late into the show, you, you will get your... Uh, Quick interview, quick uh, review read. Uh, five stars from old Jay-Z, Jay Shablewski. All right. Great guy. Uh, actually, it says great guy. Josh gets it done. Awesome guest. Killer music. Aiken's all right, too. Wow, at least I'm all right. Two at weeks in a row, man. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Everybody giving some love to Chris Aiken. I love it. 
Now, Jay's a great dude. dude, man. I told you on the phone, uh, you know, Jay's ordered, I think, three Talk To Me shirts. Hey, Talk wow. To Me shirts over here in this box. So order some, stupids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have all the way up to 3X now. So uh, so hit me up. Hit me up. There you go. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's get out of here, man. Um, all right. Yeah, so once again, a huge thank you to Wade McNeil, Alexis on Fire, new album Otherness out June 24th. And so for the Talk To Me podcast here, notfest.com, I'm Joshua Toomey. I am Chris Hagan. And we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. The Talk To Me podcast presented by notfest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me podcast.